Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Azban, here with my friend, Mechavruta and Gordon. Our daf today, Masacha Beta, daf vav, page six. We're still talking about the egg. <laughs> it's a lot it's gonna of talk be a about lot. the egg, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, but I'm going to focus on something on Amud Aleph uh, that caught my attention here. Ravina had a yatev kame de Rav Asi. So Ravina was in front of Rav Asi, the shnei yamim tobim shal Rosh Hashanah. On the two days of Rosh Hashanah, Chazay Dahave Atzi, and Ravina sees that Ravashi is basically uh, he's sad. Amai Atziv Mar, Amarle, Amai Atziv Mar. So he says to him, he says, "Why are you sad?" Amarle, Delo Otivi Erevei Tavshion. So he says it's because I didn't prepare, you know, the Erev Tavshion. Now, Erev Tavshion, which is one of the types of a Reuven that we talk about, um, and this is. Uh, you know, what we do so that one can cook for Shabbat um, on Yom Tov, right? So if Yom Tov is the day before Shabbat, right? Yom Tov is on a Friday. We need to be able to prepare food on Shabbat. When we cook on Yom Tov, we can only cook what we need, you know, for then and there. We don't cook for something for later on, right? Um, but here the issue is, and this goes back to everything that we're talking about with Rabbah and, and Hachana, we, what we do in Erev Tavshilin you basically can do hachana by cooking on Friday for something that you're going to use in Shabbat. And so basically Rav Ashi is sad here because he didn't make his Erev Tavshilin and he's, you know, he, uh, he wasn't able to get ready for Shabbat. Now, I love this because I don't know if any of you have ever been in a position where you, you know, have ever forgotten Erev Tavshilin. I think that happened to me once, um, but there's always sort of this franticness on those, you know, those Arab yuntifs when you do need to make an Arab tafshilin to make sure that you actually uh, remember to do one. So Ravina says back. Although then, let's I'll- just, you're, you're Dana, let's just add that, you know, there's a standard like, you know, get of jail free card that if you yeah. forgot to make an Arab tafshilin, you can kind of rely on the fact that the rev of the community or somebody right, else in that the community. everybody else did. Exactly. But, you know, yes, you can rely on that. Thank you for making that clear. So Ravina says back to him, Amar Lay. But the low tave mar hadina. So he said, okay, so let him just do the Erev Tavshila now. Like, let him just do it on basically on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Mila amar raba, mania chadam eruve Tavshila, mi yom tov lachavero umatna. Didn't Rabba say that a person can make an Erev Tavshila, right, on the one day of Chag, right, turning about, we're talking about the two days of Chag in, you know, in, in Galut, in the diaspora. Um, to another, you know, to another umatna by making a stipulation. So in other words, what's the stipulation that you would make? You say, if today is a weekday, because in other words, we don't really know, uh, you know, the whole thing that we're teasing out here is that there was some sort of confusion, right, with uh, the calendar. And that's why we do these two days of Chag in the diaspora. So if we say the first day, if a person says, okay, maybe this was actually the weekday and tomorrow is the holy day, so then I can actually make my Erev Tavshilin so that I can prepare this food for Shabbat. And if today was holy and tomorrow is the weekday, right, then I can prepare food tomorrow like any regular weekday and then you didn't actually need the Erev Tavshilin. Amar Lai, so Ravashi answers back to him, Emar Amar Yamim Tovim So he says to Rabba, he says, no, what Rabba says, sorry, he says back to Ravina, what Rabba said is only applies to the festival days, the Yom Tovs, of the diaspora. But when it comes to the two days of Rosh Hashanah, who said this? Because remember, what we've been establishing all along 
is that the two days of Rosh Hashanah are not Yom Tov Shalgaliyot. And I think that key, you know, that becomes very key in this story here. And they're actually considered to be sort of one long day. They're equally holy. Baha Imri Nahardai, right? So Rabino replies back to him, didn't the, the Chachamim of Nahardai, remember that's one of the three major uh, yeshivot or places of Torah learning in Bavel, right? In, uh, including Surah and Pumpadita, right? Afbeitza Muter. So they said that even an egg is permitted on the two days of Rosh Hashanah, which means it actually is treated exactly the same way as the two Yom Tovs of, you know, Shnei Yamim Tovim of Goliath. Amrlei Rav Mordechai. And so then Rav Mordechai, who I guess is sitting there, right? And sorry, so, so what Ravina is basically saying is if we're going to learn this about the egg, right, on Rosh Hashanah, then why can't you make an Erev Tavshilin also? So then Rav Mordechai, who I guess is listening to all this, says, and so Rav Mordechai basically says to Ravina, this really doesn't, you know, this doesn't help at all because Rav Ashi basically told me explicitly he doesn't hold by this opinion of the Chachamim of Nahardai. And he actually believes that Rosh Hashanah is different from other Yom Tovim. And basically, once you lost your opportunity and you didn't make an Erev Tavshilin, you can't make an Erev Tavshilin. So I, you know, I think this is a very human piece. We see people make the same mistakes all the time, um, you know, with the Zerv Tavshilin. But I think the other point here is I think this story really illustrates one of the themes that here, which is two days of Yom Tov is very different than two days of Rosh Hashanah. And as we're learning this whole scenario with the egg, that's something that's very important to keep in mind. I think I want to... I want to just clarify this for myself. I wanted to say it out loud so that I'm with you on this. I feel like the two days of um, of Yontif Shololiot, right? The idea that we have a day, an extra day, because we're not sure about when the messengers or the message of Rosh Chodesh would get to where it needs to get to. I feel like it's still the original thing of Rosh Hashanah, right? Like the reason it's not the same thing is because there's time to get the information out. Right by the time you get to to Yuntif. and so we know the calendar, and we know that it's fixed, and still we kind of maintain this thing of because Rosh Hashanah falls out on Rosh Chodesh, like so they couldn't know it in advance, so we preserve this question, so that it really is different from the Yuntif Shani Shogolia that we we know the calendar, and we know that we're doing it like as a as a remembrance of what once was, but Rosh Hashanah. Aren't we also doing it like a remembrance of what what was? Because we also know the calendar, and we know which day is the first day of Tishrei. Right? Nobody ever says maybe the second day of Rosh Hashanah is really the first of Tishrei. Right. I I, I think you're right, but there's, you know, I think the whole setting of the calendar for the whole year, like there's something about Rosh Hashanah that's very di- and and it's a, because it's a setting of two things. Rosh Hashanah is the setting of the calendar for the month, right? Because you need to know when Aleph of Tishrei is, and it's a holiday also. And so I think that's the key difference. When you're talking about Sukkot or Pesach, that's in the middle of the month. So it gets set already just by Rosh Chodesh, right? But with Rosh Hashanah, you sort of have like a double uncertainty. Is the Rosh Chodesh day right? Is the holiday right? And so I think that's part of why Rosh Hashanah has its own separate status. The Gemara doesn't articulate it exactly that way. But that's how I'm reading into this a little bit. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold 
what do you call it? Hold it in abeyance until I, I don't know, till we, as we go further, I guess it will sink in either your way or I will come back to you and say, no, I think that really this, they're the same thing. And we just keep the two days, you know, meaning let me take a step back also and say, in Israel, Rosh Hashanah is two days as well, even though the rest of the Yantav Sheni shall go, it's Yantav Sheni shall Goliath. It's, we don't have two days of, of Yantav for anything but Rosh Hashanah in Israel. So that's where I think that this preservation of the Svekidioma, um, I think is most vivid. But I think that I'm not sure that it's so different, except for the way that we don't keep the other days. Like, I feel like in the rest of the world, that's not the land of Israel, people are keeping the Svekidioma out of a tradition, right? Not because they don't really know what the day is. And so in Israel, they don't keep the Sveka Dioma because in Israel, they never had to keep the Sveka Dioma because the messengers would get fast, would get far enough by the time it was Yantif, to, but, I'm sorry, by the time it was the holiday, meaning Sukkot or Pesach or even Shavuot because you could count from Pesach. And then they would know that this is when, this is when the holiday is beginning and you don't have to worry about it. Whereas they might not get that far if they had to travel as far, send by fire or whatever, the messages, and obviously we'll talk about this more in Rosh Hashanah, to get to Bavel or wherever. But Rosh Hashanah, because there's no time, so everybody would treat it as Yontif Sheini, even if they knew the day, even when they know that it's by the calendar. And we didn't give that up, meaning the whole world keeps two days of Rosh Hashanah. Um, I don't know. I, I, as I say, I want to think about it a little bit more to what extent I see the difference between Rosh Hashanah and the rest of the time being anything other than how long it would take the messengers to get the message of Rosh Chodesh when Rosh Chodesh fell out to, to everybody else. And, and one last thing I would say is, is that I, I can't imagine how chaotic Rosh Hashanah was because like right. you could be doing nothing and it's like, it's Rosh Hashanah, <laughs> you know? And I think about how much prep I do to get ready so, you know, and go on with the piece that you want to read, but like, it had to be chaotic. There's like no preparation. It's just like, it's Rosh Hashanah. Drop everything or, you do and start. And that doesn't- Or, you like know, there, the there will be the people, there will be the people, and maybe you're one of these people who would set up everything in the, in the like in the either case scenario. If it's Rosh Hashanah this way, we'll have this menu. And if it's Rosh Hashanah that way, we will- you know, save that food for then and we'll have this then instead, right? There'll be people who would prepare everything, I'm sure. I mean, for every which case. That, that is probably also true. Okay, so I'm going to go back to the egg, meaning I'm now on the, towards the end of the daf, on the, on the, towards the end of Amabet, Amarav Huna Amarav Beitza. So the, again, there's the egg. We come back to this case, which becomes the paradigm of, of anything that is new, really, on the day of Yantif itself. Beitza im nigmara. So Rav, Rav Huna said, the Rav said, that the egg is complete upon its like leaving of the chicken, I guess, right? It's not considered an egg. You don't have an egg until it's laid. And at the same time, the moment it's laid, you have a complete egg. You know, it's not, there's nothing piecemeal about this. My So the Gemara says, well, what does that mean? That it's fully formed, that it's a complete at the time that it emerges, right? So then the Gemara says, well, one second, what are the, what's the case that we're talking about? If we're talking about the fact that the egg is a complete, fully formed egg, and you're going to call it an egg at the time that it comes out of the chicken, and at this point, you can have your eggs with milk, right? That's the big practical difference, right? It is no longer inside of the chicken. The moment it's inside the chicken, I mean, all of the moments that it's inside of the chicken, it's considered part of the chicken, in which case it is meat. 
or at least it's got the chicken decrees, you know, that make it like meat. Um, but then the moment that it's out, now it's now it's an egg. And the way we treat eggs, they're parav and they can be eaten with milk. Um, so the Gemara wants to know, like, is that what we're really talking about here, that it's complete? And if that's the case, then we've got a question, because Bahatanya, we've got a brighter that says, so this is a really interesting case. I'm not even squeamish about it, right? Namely, that if you slaughter a chicken and inside of that chicken, you find eggs that are complete, meaning they are fully formed eggs and they simply haven't been laid yet, then according to this brighter, you are able to eat them with milk. Um, meaning the fact that the, you have gotten them from inside of the chicken instead of outside of the chicken does not change the status of the fully formedness of the egg. Ella, so rather, let's understand Rav's statement in a different way. So we're not talking about its status for dairy or meat. We're talking about yuntif, the fact that a, an egg that is born, not born, I keep saying this, laid on um, yantif cannot be eaten on that yantif itself. But here, perhaps that's what Rav is saying, that really it can be eaten on the festival um, if the entirety of the egg um, has emerged, right? So then the Gemara is going to say, well, one second, would it have been prohibited to eat the egg if it had been found inside the mother like let's say you come to shecht your chicken for your for your for your festival meal, right? And lo and behold, there's eggs inside. Would that really make any difference if it's if does it have to emerge? Does it have to be laid, you know, to be a completed egg, or can it also be a completed egg inside of the chicken if it were found there as this, you know, unusual? I don't know how unusual it is in reality, but this unusual case, the interesting case. And again, we've got a break that says, So we've got a break that says straight up, if you find eggs, fully formed eggs inside of a chicken, you can eat them on yant if they are not considered the, the thing that is prohibited in that first Mishnah of the Masachat, namely that which is laid, right? Beitza nolda this egg that is, this is why I keep saying born, because we call it nolad, which means that it, it's like from the same word of yelled or vlad, which all means like, you know, birthing and so on. So, but again, like the egg that is nolad, that is emerges from the chicken on yantif, which is a problem, is a problem. But if it's found within the chicken, it's still considered, it's considered fine that you could eat it on yantif. So if you want to say that the breita about the about these eggs is teaching us something that the Mishnah did not teach us, well then the Gemara here says, Rav's talking, says like, no, don't worry about that. We've this very exact question was Beit Shammai saying that you can eat it, and Beit Hillel saying that you cannot eat it is exactly this question about the egg that's that's laid on Yantiv itself. And then, um, meaning they their dispute was an egg that is already laid. Can you eat it on Yantif or not? But concerning eggs that would be found inside of the chicken, those would be considered.
HMI say that they are permitted. And if you want to say that the bishop say it the other way, or maybe we could say that really Beit Hillel still prohibited the eggs inside of the chicken. And then that makes the strength of Beit Shammai's position that much more, that much stronger. The strength of Beit Shammai, that, that they both agree that inside of the chicken would be prohibited, but Beit Shammai will permit it if it's actually laid on Yantif. So the the brighter rather says straight up that if you shecht a chicken and you find fully formed eggs inside of it, then you can eat them on the festival on the on yantif. Mani, who says this? Lo velo So at the end of the day, they say it's neither of them, and and don't go to conclude anything about their positions about nolad about the egg that is laid on yantif from the case of the eggs that are fully formed with inside the chicken. Um, okay, now I just want to, we're really getting to the end of the daf. I just want to just conclude this this little bit, which is going to just take us to the very top of the next daf. When Rav is, is talking about this case and he's saying that when they emerge fully formed, that that's when you have an egg, it says you've got an egg that's fully formed when it emerges from the chicken. And also, it, it's gonna, that's how you get chicks, right? You end up with the baby chickens coming out of an egg if you've got, if it's a fertilized egg and it will, you know, you incubate it and all, and then you'll end up with chickens. As compared to an egg that is found within the, the inside of the chicken, right? That, those eggs would never have become chickens because chickens lay eggs. They don't, they don't gestate baby chicks inside of themselves. So what's the difference between these cases? What's the difference, the fact that the chicken doesn't actually have efrochim, uh, baby chicks coming out of it? Specifically, we're talking about buying and selling, meaning to what extent, what is your, what's the practical halachic difference? We're talking about something that if you're, talk, if you're going to buy or sell these eggs, you're going to buy and sell this chicken, then you have to know what the case is. Right, somebody's walking around, it's like, who's got lev- eggs of a live chicken? Somebody wants to go buy these eggs that came out of the chicken. They give him the eggs that were found, meaning that are found within the body of the chicken. He comes to Rav Ami, he says, that's not really what I'm looking for. That's not a regular egg. And Rav Ami says, in fact, he's right. This is a mekach ta'ut. This is a mistaken, you know, it's it's, it's a false pretenses or whatever. And they cancel the they cancel the sale um, because of exactly this. Because this idea that an egg, you know, according to people, when they come to buy an egg, they're looking for an egg that came out of a chicken, not the egg that is found within the chicken, certainly under normal circumstances. My only comment on this stuff will be, it's amazing how they took this Mishnah and all the different scenarios of the chicken and the eggs that they came up with. I mean, <laughs> no, but I mean that, like, I think that's the power of the Gemara. Like, yes, it can be mind-numbing sometimes. And you're like, really? Can we just move on from the egg? But there's so <laughs> many different variables. And we're going to see it's going to continue tomorrow's stuff also. You know, all these different cases. And it's just not, it's never straightforward. Again, I think this is sort of, you know, what's amazing about Chazal, sometimes a little infuriating, um, but it, it's 
I'm feeling it very much on the pages of eight. So I think it's amazing. I think that this exploration of, you know, what, it, what does it mean to lay an egg, you know, which you would think it's just a very obvious thing. And then this question of at what point do you have an egg form to be an egg? Right. And you would think it's from when it comes out of the chicken, but then lo and behold, there's a case that's a counter to that. Like I feel like it's just very careful paying attention to all of the different possibilities here. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydrant website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talent Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.